All right, welcome to session two of our parenting class. For those people interested, I have some outlines. I don't have a keynote like Sean did. I'm going to start with a question that could go many directions, but my task today is to talk about our goal in parenting. Hey. Uh, probably the fellowship class would probably be the best bet this morning down in the chapel. In the chapel. Um, what is our goal as parents? Have you thought about that before? I mean, other than, you know, keeping the child alive, feeding them, clothing them, housing them. But spiritually speaking, what is our goal? That's fine, right there. Anybody want to take a stab? To see them come to the faith, right? Okay, to see them come to faith. That's a, absolutely a goal. Good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, so we could we could take our Sunday school answer and say our goal as parents is to glorify the Lord. Well, absolutely. Uh, but more immediately, more tangibly in front of us, our, our immediate goal that I'm going to argue this morning is to reach the heart of our children, to reach the heart of our child. To reach the heart. And why, why is that? Well, number one... I guess letter A, we want to reach the heart because the, the heart is the core of our being. The heart is who we really are. The heart is the core of our being. Consider some of the things the Bible says about the heart. The classic text, Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. The heart is spoken of as a fountain, and the rest of our life, everything that we do flows downstream from it. The heart is the start, the the mind, the will, the memory, our desires, our feelings, our emotions, all of that flow downstream from our heart. Everything we do flows from our heart. The NIV translates that text as, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And Peterson paraphrases it this way, keep vigilant watch over your heart because that's where life starts. I think he's right. The heart is what steers the hands and the feet. It's what directs our mouths. That's why Jesus can say in Matthew 12, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's inside will inevitably come out. To use another analogy from Jesus, whatever is in the root will inevitably bear fruit. And if a person has a bad root, he will produce bad fruit. If a person has a good root, he will bear good fruit. And so we see discussing the heart and the place that it has in our lives and indeed in our children's life is very important. Letter B, why talk about the heart? Well, failing to aim at the heart fails to aim at our child's deepest need. 
failing to aim at the heart fails to aim at our child's deepest need. Conversely, we could say it another way. Surface level parenting is not what our children need. Merely addressing the external behavior is insufficient. If everything flows downstream of the heart, we must aim at the heart if we are to make any substantive lasting difference. Right? We've all seen children that know the catechism questions and answers backwards and forwards, but we also can see very clearly it hasn't gotten down to their heart, right? See parents that, you know, ask their child, who made you? God made me! And then the child goes and swinging from the chandeliers, (laughs) right? We as parents so often get diverted towards merely seeing and addressing the externals, Right? We get annoyed by how loud the kids are, how distracted they get, how many times we have to tell them to pick up the same sock off the floor. And so we address the outward external annoyance. We think if we can fix what annoys me, the external behavior, then things would just be so much easier. Right? If I could just make them less messy less noisy, less impulsive, if they would just eat their peas, like I tell them, my life would be so much better. And sometimes we can see change in external behavior and become satisfied in our parenting thinking that we've done a good job because they pick up their socks. Right? There are a lot of sinners in hell who learn to pick up their socks well. External behavior modification, especially when it's driven by us removing the annoyances from my life, is not enough. So let me give us an example. My two sons come storming down the stairs. One of them has the Nerf gun. Dad, he took the gun I was using. No, I didn't. I had it first, but you've had it for half an hour. It's my turn to have the Nerf gun. I hope I'm not the only person that's ever had this kind of experience. I'm sure you've had some similar experience. Dad, he's not sharing. And so what are the kinds of ways that we tend to respond to the externals in that moment? I tend to respond, well, who had it first? Johnny did. Give it back to Johnny. Or, Johnny, how long have you had it? An hour. Share it with your brother. Give it to the other one. Right? Or, when I'm really feeling sinful, give me that gun. I'm going to solve this right now. (laughs) Right? So I either side with one, I side with the other, or I play mean dad and solve the problem as if that Nerf gun was in any meaningful way the actual cause of the conflict. It's the occasion, not the cause. Throw it away. We'll never have that conflict again. Just doesn't make sense. 
but it does in my head in that moment. And so have any of these solutions gotten to the heart level issues? What, what, let me ask you, what were some of the heart level issues at play in that story with the Nerf gun running down the stairs and World War III happening? Selfishness. Selfishness. Yes. On, behi- on behalf of whom? Both. All three of us, actually. Possible theft. Grand larceny. Yeah. Coveting. Yes. So one had the gun. The other one, who was previously contented with all of life until he sees his brother having something he doesn't have, erupts. Anger, contention, hostility, probably some rivalry, some reviling happening. Surely there was name-calling. A desire for manipulation. Dad, he's not sharing. You use your power to make him share so that I can have the idol that I want. Right? So there's, there's a multiplicity of heart-level issues happening in that episode. And I addressed none of them. Right? I said, give me the gun. I'll solve the problem. Give me the Nerf gun. And so we have all of these heart-level issues. And if I only and ever respond to these episodes with, well, you give him the gun or you, you give me the... You, if I'm only addressing behavior modification and not the heart, then I'm not going to address the actual problem. Indeed, if we never address heart-level issues and push beyond the externals, we can simply train Pharisees. It's very easy to do, actually. That's the way we naturally drift. If, if Dad only yells at me when I'm loud, but Dad is happy when I'm quiet, then children will learn. They'll put two and two together and say, I can do whatever I want as long as I'm quiet about it. My heart can remain untouched. The idols within me, the sinfulness, can remain unaddressed as long as I'm sneaky. As long as I'm quiet. If mom only shows me affection when I'm making good grades, but mom shows me anger when I make bad grades, then I will learn that I must perform well for people to love me. Children will put these things together. They may not have cog- like be thinking they couldn't articulate it always in this way, but they, at the level of feeling, they will feel as if their performance is tied to the affection that they get. If we only address externals, that's an easy situation to have. There's a hundred different ways to simply look at the behavior of our children. If we never move past the outside into the level of desire, of heart, underneath, then we can implicitly train our children to think that the inside is irrelevant as long as the outside is polished. Does that sound like something Jesus said to the Pharisees? You polish the outside of the cup, but inside, death. Mom and dad will stay off my case as long as I do this or don't do that. But to stay there is to fail to recognize our child's greatest need and ultimately fail to understand the gospel. That's, that's letter C on the front page. Failing to aim at the heart 
misunderstands the gospel. Failing to aim at the heart misunderstands the gospel. Right? The good news of the Bible starts with the bad news that we all have a problem. The problem is not fundamentally ignorance, though we're born with some of that. The problem is not fundamentally misdirection, as if everything we do is great, it's kind of pointed in slightly wrong direction. We're aiming it. We need to just move the aim of the child. We need to redirect their orientation. The problem is we're sinful. We're naturally selfish of heart. We don't have to teach our children how to be selfish, how to covet the toy that the other child has. We don't have to teach our children how to lie. In many ways, it comes naturally to them. They're self-interested, just like we are. We're born that way. But what else does the Bible say about our hearts? Well, it says a lot, actually. We are called to love the Lord our God with all of our brains. Well, it's true. It's not all. We're called to love our God with all of our heart. Every ounce of who we are. That's what Adam was expected to do in the garden, love God with all of his heart. But did he do it? Do we do it? Parents? An honest assessment would conclude that we don't. We don't love God with all of our hearts. In fact, the Bible says we're born naturally haters of God. We love the darkness and we hate the light. We're at enmity with God. We choose to be selfish and be concerned only about me. To be bitter when I don't get what I want. To covet the things that God has not given to me. To be resentful and revile those that have gotten the things that I so crave in my heart. So we're not simply bad because we've made a few wrong choices, a few unwise decisions. We're principally bad because we have bad hearts. We have a spiritual heart defect. And we can't study Scripture and give away enough money, say enough prayers, read enough parenting books to mend our hearts. We need a new heart. Spiritual cardiac transplant. And that's what God has promised to do through Christ in the New Covenant. Ezekiel 11, He promises, I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, And give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I shall be their God. God promises to do in the fullness of time what his people could never do. He would circumcise their hearts. Something that Israel was commanded to do in Deuteronomy but could not do it. And indeed would not do it. He would replace their hard, cold hearts of stone with warm, beating hearts of flesh. That's the grace of renewal. And so our greatest need, by extension, our child's greatest need is addressed in the gospel. And that's what we're aiming for. Heart level change, not merely polishing the outside of the cup. So next major question on the back of the page. Sounds great, Pastor. 
How do we do this? It's the million dollar question, isn't it? That's why people earn all sorts of money writing all sorts of parenting books. Read my book and I will answer all of your parenting problems and life will be so easy and your children will love you and obey everything you say. No. How do we go about this? Well, number one, prayerfully. Prayerfully. I'm on the back of the page. Prayerfully. Turn with me to Psalm 127. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In vain it is that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. If God is not the builder, the psalmist says, then the house is built in vain. What does he mean by house? Well, it could apply to all of the senses of the house. It doesn't matter if you're working on literally constructing the building with two by fours and shingles, or if you're building God's house the temple in Jerusalem, or if you're building a legacy of offspring, think David in the Davidic covenant was promised a house, a seed, an offspring who would sit on the throne forever. Doesn't matter if you're trying to build your home, if you're trying to order the affairs of your household, if God is not the builder, you are laboring in vain. In vain. Sounds like Ecclesiastes. Right? In vain, the Latin word for that is infrustra, where we get our word frustrating. Have you ever been frustrated in parenting? Right? If you are laboring, you're spinning your wheels, but you're doing it without the strength and help of the Lord, you will be frustrated. You will be impeded. And God does that in His kindness to you. Have you ever thought about that? Because you're operating under the delusion that you are self-sufficient, you don't need God's help, and so rather than you continuing down that road and thinking everything's so great and grand because I'm such a great parent, God frustrates you to remind you that you are actually not God and you need God's help. You will be frustrated if God is not building your home. You'll be like grasping after the wind, trying to catch the wind in your hand. You'll be eating the bread of anxious toil. Such a fascinating phrase. You'll be feeding on that which produces anxiety and gets nowhere. That's why we need to pray. Without the Lord's 
help and action, we are laboring in an uphill battle that is frustrated and that we can never win. That's right. The rest of the Bible teaches us that we don't have the ability to change anyone's hearts, including our child. So if we can't do the thing that is our immediate goal, something that we desperately want for our child to reach the heart, then we must pray and plead, remember our dependence upon God and His working. Even before we step up to the plate and begin to think about training our children, we must start from a position of prayerful dependence. We must be prayerful. Letter B, we must also be intentional. We must be intentional in our aim to reach the child's heart, pushing beyond the external behavior to the desires behind it. This takes effort. It's so much easier to simply address the outside. So much easier. You act this way, you get this spanking. The end of the story. You act this way, you get time out. much harder to have the conversation at the heart level. It's easy to yell at the kids for being annoying, being messy, being whatever, because the absence of that mess would then make me happy. That's what I think in my heart in that moment. You are causing this problem. If you would stop causing the problem, my life would be better. But that's not what the primary concern is. If they simply remove the mess from my life, my irritation is addressed, but their heart is not. So it's really a selfish way to go about parenting if that's all we ever do is address the outside. The primary concern of the children is that they have broken God's law. They're habitually not doing the lawful things that the parents have asked. Right? Not cleaning up after themselves. Not doing their homework. Not finishing their peas. It's not at root kind of a cute little disobedience. Like we can think it might be when they're young. No, it's a sin. It's not simply my annoyance. And so we must be prayerful and intentional to pursue the hard work of heart work in our children. Pressing in, asking questions, trying to get them to see as they get older and their abilities to think and reason, to use logic, grow. We want to use their own eyes to help them see the issue behind this. This is a pattern. There's a problem. This is... This is an issue. So not merely prayerful, but intentional. And also with perseverance. Perseverance. Parenting can be exhausting, discouraging, 
despair-inducing occasionally, in large part because it is so repetitive. How many have you how many of you have asked this question before to your child? How many times do I have to tell you? We probably have all at least thought the question. How many times? I feel like I've told you a thousand times. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is. And so we as parents have to repeat the same truth again and again and again. We make the same encouragements. We point back to the same problems, the same issues again and again. Yes, you need to pick up your socks today, just like I told you yesterday and the day before. And the day, Yes, you need to make up your bed today. In fact, until the Lord Jesus returns, just plan on making your bed every day. No, it's not a good idea to irritate your brother, right? We fill in the blank. There's a hundred things we could add to that list. But the children forget. They ignore. Sometimes it's forgetful and it's, maybe that's sinful, maybe not. Sometimes it's direct. I I heard what you said, I'm choosing not to do that. They don't remember what we say. They fail to prioritize, right? I know you told me to clean up my room, but I found this Lego, and I want to play with the Lego. And so they steer away. It wasn't overt, like, rebellion in the sense that I'm rejecting what you say and I'm choosing Legos, because, no, it's failure to prioritize and to focus. Some of that is a capacity issue as a child. Some of that is foolishness. So we're tempted in the grind of the daily repetitiveness to get irritated. I've solved this issue yesterday when I told you what the problem was. And now the problem has come back. So we can think, I am such a terrible father. I am such a terrible mother because I keep having to say the same thing over and over again. Right? We despair. Or we think, I'm actually doing a pretty good job. It's that woman you gave me, God. Right? We're Adam in the garden. I'm doing a great job. The kids aren't working out right, so it must be some other problem in the equation. It's my spouse. We blame it on something else. Right? Kids were doing so great, and then they go to grandma's, and they come back, and they're all spoiled and rotten. Uh, How many times have we had this thought? If these kids would just listen to me, life would be so much better. If they would just listen to me, remember what I tell them, do what I tell them, then our home would be so peaceful. There would be no more strife. Let me ask you a question, those who are weary of repeating the same truth. 
How often do you and I need to hear the same thing again and again? How many of us have advanced beyond the need for the gospel? I haven't. I doubt you have. And if we haven't advanced beyond the need for repetition, for hearing the truth of God again and again, then why would we expect that our children would advance beyond the need for repetition? They need to hear the same truth every day that you and I need to hear. And so, in love, in obedience to Christ, we seek to love our children well by reminding them of the same fundamental truths again and again and again. It doesn't mean you're a terrible parent that you have to repeat yourself. So we speak the same gospel to them again and again, and we do it even though we need to hear the same message every day as well. In fact, it is God's good, loving, and kind discipline to you that He has put you in charge of little human beings who need to hear a message every day that you also need to hear. The same message that He would have for me and you to hear. And so as we start to wind this down, I want to remind us that this perseverance, this prayerful, intentional perseverance, is to be rooted in the gospel message if it's ever going to last. I'm talking about your heart here. Before we get to the parenting part. Your perseverance in faithful parenting must be rooted in the gospel if it's going to last. If you're simply motivated to be a faithful parent by a sense of duty, it won't last. It is true it is your duty. But if duty alone is the motivator, duty will crush you because you will never meet the mark. You're not going to be a good enough parent. If we're driven by any sense of pride to be a good parent, it will never last. And that's easy to do. If we want to be seen as a good parent, seen by the people at church, seen by our parents as good parents, seen by our friends, seen by the other people in the PTO at school. We want others to think we're such a wonderful parent. God in His kindness will allow your child to terribly misbehave just to humble you. We can't root our feelings about our parenting performance ultimately in the behavior of our children. Because 
their behavior goes wildly this way, and so will your heart. We all need both the law and the gospel. We need to remember that we too are terrible sinners. We failed in many ways, including in parenting. But that our performance as parents is not what saves us. We are saved by Jesus' perfect obedience alone. Not by our works. God doesn't love us because we're perfect parents. Because we've got every decision correct. Because we've read every scrap of literature, every parenting life hack available online. We've done all of our due diligence. No. God loves us, not because we're such wonderful parents, but in fact, in spite of our failed parenting efforts. And it's from that position of fixed safety and security. Right? I am I am beloved by God because he has chosen me in Christ before the foundation of the world. I'm stable at that point. Nothing in this world is going to change that. And so when the parenting ups and downs come, when the trials and the trauma and all of that mess comes, I can be fixed and stable in my faithful, slow prayerful, intentional plodding. And from that position of security and safety in the gospel, I can express a consistent, faithful message of truth to the heart of my children. We can encourage them that their performance... How well they make their bed, what grades they get, did they finish their plate. Their performance is not what makes me love you, child. I want them to know that. It's because I love you already that I want these things for you, these good things. And I want to help you by addressing, my child, Your deepest need, which isn't merely the peas left on your plate or the socks on the floor. It's your heart. And the way to change that heart is for you to think about Jesus and what he says in his word. And how he's the only one that can provide the thing that we all desperately need. In the the coming weeks... I'm going to get to a lot more of the things that everybody here is itching for. The particulars, the practicalities, the nuts and bolts. You probably have many practical questions. In the next few weeks, I'm going to look at communication and formative discipline, punitive discipline. Age-appropriate expectations, behaviors, Sean's going to look at a lot of those. Technology, how do we think about technology? But today I wanted to get to the kind of principial level of what we're trying to do to reach the heart. Did we have any questions about what I've said today? Yes, sir. 
I've, I grew up in an unbelieving home mm -hmm. that didn't know any of this. So my question is, is more about how the parent shows um, or how they lead their children to the heart. Like, it's about the parent's heart just as much as it's about the child's heart, right? So if the parent is in anger and in fleshly anger, then that could be instilled into the ch children because they see that so often. So what about the opposite, the Christian way? Yes. We're going to get next week and talk about communication. And there's lots of different ways to go. Um, you know, we kind of do some excavating in their heart by asking questions, by using scripture to, to try and probe, um, and then try and apply scripture. Right? We, use, we use the law to dig around a little bit, and we use the gospel to try and heal and push and encourage, point towards Jesus. So that's the short answer. Next week we'll get a longer answer. Lord willing. Would you say this is a, when you're correcting or how you're guiding your children to trying to get to their heart? Mm -hmm. And I know I have a lot of particular questions, but more, are you, are you seeing this as in a, every time they misbehave, or is this like, a, okay, let's have our night get to your heart discussion? You know what I'm saying? Like, is it every time that they want the Nerf gun? No, I think it's okay to say, remember that conversation we had 10 minutes yeah. ago? <laughs> that, that, that same truth applies here, and you ignored it, and so here are the consequences. So I'm, I don't think it has to be every conversation, but that we want the, the, the fabric of the home to be so permeated with grace and with love and with truth that when firm discipline has to happen, it's, it's within the context of love. If you're only and ever pounding, then they're gonna, they'll be soldiers, they will obey, but it's out of fear. It's out of fear of discipline, fear of punishment. But if the context of the home is like, they know at any given moment, mom and dad love me, then when discipline does have to happen, and discipline but you know is, is unpleasant, when the unpleasantness comes, it's within the context of love, and so they can know and trust that it's coming for my good. Because it's easy if the if the if the if the atmosphere is fear and you're just rigid all the time and you're antsy and you're fidgety and you you can produce all sorts of negative fruits in the children because they're just afraid. They worry. They're anxious. They're, they're fearful about the future. They're so we want to have this context of love within the home, kind of ethos. Yes, Scott. It relates to the, the scripture that talks about um, this kindness that leads us to repentance. Yes. And so uh, there's a connection there. You know, we, we, um, when we think about um, the kindness of Jesus to us, we're motivated to obey him. And so uh, we want our children to we don't do that perfectly, obviously. Right. But that's what we want our children. Um, that's what we're aiming for. Is, yeah. is that we're our kindness to them that they see on an everyday basis makes them say, hmm, "I want to obey right. this parent because they love me so much." Right. And I want to obey them. Absolutely. Absolutely. We. Over a long of time. There, 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 sh there was, hopefully, 
There is no doubt in your child's mind at any point that you love them. That's the, that's the kind of standard operating procedure within the home. Um, and kindness, we show to them all the time. Kindness does not preclude unpleasant discipline. Kind, discipline is a kindness of the Lord. I've said that many times to my children. It's, the Lord loves you and I love you enough to not let this behavior continue. And God has paused your life right now to stop and look at this thing that you just did. And to remind you that you need a, a Savior. You need forgiveness. And so, you know, that's getting into next week. But that's the kind of way that we go about this. It's God's kindness when He shows us our sin so that we can repent of it. Right? In fact, in Scripture, Romans 1, when, when God's judgment comes... He takes his hands off the wheel and lets sinners go full headlong into their sin. So kindness is not just habitually overlooking and and hoping that it gets better on its own. Kindness is lovingly pointing it out. Yes, sir? Let's say hypothetically speaking, we uh, as parents... um, have a lot of sanctifying to do in our own hearts. Mm-hmm. So uh, we fail at the perseverance part mm-hmm. and we don't do the perfect parenting where we're leading the gospel. Instead, we yell out at them and we do the wrong parenting. How do we, uh, short of giving the children back until we get ourselves fixed, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> how do we, um, like, ex- uh, communicate to our children, like, I did that wrong. You know, like that's, I shouldn't have been parenting that way, or I shouldn't have yeah. outburst in that way. I'm weak. I'm, how do we communicate that to our kids and get back on track? You know what I mean? Because, like, I think sometimes, like, it's hard to get back on track. Like, when, like, I've been doing the right thing for so long, but then when I do the wrong thing, and this goes to other things, not just parenting, it's hard for me to get back on track and be like, oh, that never happened. Uh, for this hypothetical individual, I would, um, <laughs> I would encourage them uh, that. The situation that they just described uh, is an accurate description of every parent since Adam, Genesis 3. Um, And none of us uh, are free of uh, hypocrisy in the sense of we're holding them to a standard that we ourselves fail to meet every day. And so, from a position of humility, we can sit down and have that conversation with our children and say, listen, I I blew it earlier. You know, you were yelling at your brother about the Nerf gun, and I said, don't you know how angry you are? Right? (laughs) I may have said things like that, uh, hypothetically. And so, we just have to remember the gospel, right? We remember that... Yeah, we blow it, and God points it out to us in his kindness when we blow it so that we have an opportunity to think again about the Jesus who died to save us, knowing full well how many times we blow it as a parent. And his love compelled him to go to the cross for you. And like that warms your heart. And from that position of humble warmth of heart, the children will flourish in that kind of environment. So I would say... Don't, 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 uh, 
ground your faithfulness as a parent ultimately in how well you persevere or any other duty that we have. When you fail, you see that you fail, we can go back to the cross and say, but failing makes me the perfect candidate for Jesus' grace because he died for sinners. He didn't die for perfect parents. So I'm just proving my candidacy. (laughs) I think that's good for your kids to see, like, even when you've blown it, like, hypothetically, I may have blown it a time or two in my day with, you know, some of my children, but it's good for them to see, like, I'll go to them, like, hey, man, I'm sorry. Dad blew up. Absolutely. I got angry, and it's good for them to, to see that you apologized. Hey, I was wrong. It was sinful on my part. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't excuse your sin of what was happening here. But also, I was wrong. Let me correct myself to be able to correct you. Absolutely. Yeah, any bit of our sin we need to own up to. We want to lead as an example in that area. If you sin, if you get short with your spouse in front of them, you want to apologize to your spouse in front of them. Right? You want to lead by example in these ways. Uh, if they only ever see you blowing up and then in private you reconcile with your wife, they never see you repenting to the wife that you just publicly shamed or dishonored, that's not good. You know, lead by example. Be the kind of person that they want you to be. And then it means when we, we own up to it, when we blow it. All right. They eventually get old enough too where they point that stuff out to you. Um, and I think like humbly accepting that from them is a really is a is a great way to help your um, your relationship with your children to not just be like I'm in charge and you're the child, but then as you can grow, um, you know, as they grow into adulthood, I think that showing that humility that. I'm not going to listen to you just because I'm the mom and you're the child. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And there will come a day if the Lord lets us live long enough where our capacities and our faculties will fade and they will assume almost like a parent-like role over each of us. So parent in the way that you want to be parented when you're <laughs> when you're 90, you know? Uh, All right, well, Jonathan, you're up.